All right, man. Take two. Um, brand new computer. Moved downstairs. Glad you guys can see the messy bed in my background. Um, Dave, we're getting ready to talk about about Shay and his three point shooting percentage. Um, For sure. So let's just do a really quick synopsis of where I was getting to before we lost our connection there. Um, over the last, over the month of December, he shot 26% from deep. Okay, yeah. but there was a stretch where over 20 days from the 6th of December until the 26th, which was nine games, I believe, or maybe a little bit less, but in that range, right? He shot 14% from three, all the way up to the 26th. Now, wow. on the 26th, which is the last five games, he's shot 55% from deep. Hmm. Um, now, what nobody really wants to talk about right now with the Thunder is what happens if Shea's three-point shot is good. How do you stop this team? Because even if you go back to what, think about FIBA, Canada, what we saw with Shea was teams figured out how to stop him, even though they could only really slow him down, but they figured it out. They figured out how to put him to his limit. And sure. when he got going, he still wanted to get to the hole. And when they took that away from him, it became very frustrating because you can get away with that level in FIBA a little bit more cheating. But in the NBA, he's been able to continue to put up 30 plus points a game without a three point shot. And when we used to talk about this last year about comparing him to Michael Jordan in that way or, or Kobe in that way, 30 plus points any given night without hitting a three. But what happens, Dave, if he becomes what he was his third year or his second year, I think he shot 40% from deep. Yeah. For the Thunder, um, we 40, saw a really incredible season. He shot yeah. about five attempts a game. He shot 40%. The next year, what his attempts went up, but his percentage went down. And then the next year, his, he cut his attempts in half. But what if he gets to that 40% three-point shooter, Dave? Does right. this team shift into becoming the title favorites? Well, let, let's, just, let's just break this down for a quick moment here in the psychology of guarding Shea. And right. how teams are guarding shape, because in order to understand how they would have to guard him in the future, you have to know how they're guarding him now. At this moment, they have a lot of guys that are very quick footed that are guarding Shea that aren't necessarily good that have long arms that can uh, get up on his jump shot very well, but have good um, quick footwork that can get in front of him and stay in front of him. Mm -hmm. What this three point shot recently has been doing is it's made so that they cannot put certain guys on him. Right, which is making him more effective with driving, right? And as his three-point shot gets good, teams will start putting different guys on him, um, allowing him to drive more often, and that will just be what's going to have to happen because you're going to have to give him one or the other. You're going to give him two-point bucket versus a three-point bucket. And 40% is good enough where every other one he's going to hit almost. So that's just to me like where I'm looking at it. Like You have to sit back and you have to say um, – you know, as far as 30 points a game right now, 31 points a game is what Shea's averaging. Um, what do I see him adding? I think that by the end of the year, he could be averaging 33 if he continues shooting this this shot. Um, right. You know, uh, 33 for the entire season. So, um, you know, that's a huge increase to what he's already been doing in the first uh, 30 games of the year. So, but, you know, we have 52 games left. So it's it's a matter of understanding what he's been able to get to and what he's going to be able to do. Um, yeah. I think looking at the last five games and saying, can he continue this trend of improved shooting? And then you have to look at his mechanics and say, like, where are they compared to previous years? Um, that year he shot 40%. Mostly he was shooting 
catch and shoot threes because we had really good, uh, good other players on the team. But here we are, and we're looking at it, and we're like wondering, does he have the mechanics right now to lift those sh- that shot up? Because now his shot is coming off the dribble a lot more. You know, teams are sagging off of him when he puts the ball on the floor. So if he puts the ball on the floor and then goes into that step back, it's wide open. And sure. now he's hunting that. And yeah. early in the season, he, w- he wasn't really hunting it. He would shoot it a little bit reluctantly when teams were just leaving him. But now he's actually looking for it. You know the coaching staff likes that. You know that they've been trying to encourage him to keep shooting that ball. And it hasn't yeah. been easy because this is, it's an uphill battle for him to recognize he could get to the hole, but the team will be better off if he continues to stretch the court from deep. So, that, I mean, I'm absolutely sure nobody's going to be talking about, well, Shea's three-point shot is looking much better because he just came off of a really bad month. But when you look at the last five and you think if he continues to shoot four or five a game, and he's, mm. he's shooting them in the right spots, especially down the stretch. And he has to get a couple of shots up, a couple of three-pointers up to calibrate it so that down the stretch, he feels confident in that shot. Sure. So this is, a, this is an evolution of his game that I know the coaching staff has been looking for for a while. And up to this point, we really hadn't seen him make progress. And mm. we're looking at it and we're saying, this maybe is just a, a really tiny, small bit of progress. This maybe isn't um, a big enough trend to get too excited about, but I do think it's an overall improvement. And I think that as we watch this season go on, if he continues to shoot that shot, and even if he goes through some slumps, he doesn't just shy away from it. He continues to aggressively hunt it. Then we're going to find a better team. And I'm serious when I say this, like, like the term contender, people are kind of throwing it around right now with the thunder and taking it a little bit lightly. But if you add a new weapon like that to a team as good as we already are, then teams will be scrambling for new ways to defend him deep in the season and into the playoffs because sure. all the conventional wisdom about how to stop Shea and how to stop the Thunder predicates on letting him shoot that three. Well, let's just, let's just go down this list real quickly, man. I, I want to spend some minutes and take some time to highlight some of uh, the shooting that's going on around these guys because, to me, um, Chip England is all over this, all right? Um, let's start with um, Lou Dort, all right? Let's go with the starting group right here. Um, last 10 games, he is shooting 46.9% from three-point range. Damn. Josh Giddy, the last 10 games, he's shooting 44.8% from three-point range. Damn. Chet Holmgren, he's shooting 47.8% from three-point range, 10 games. And J-Dub, let's just be honest, he's being a man out there, shooting 55.9% from three-point range in the last 10 games. Shea's shooting 35% from three-point range in the last 10 games, but I, I promise you in the last five of those 10 games, he's shooting way better than he was yeah, the five first five. Is 55% so, right now. Yeah, so. so right there, you're looking at it, guys. I want you, I want you to think about this. We have all of our starters, minus one of them, are shooting 45-plus percent from the three-point line. 45-plus percent from three-point line in the last 10 games. You add Shea into that mix right there, <clears throat> I mean, like, what are people going to do to stop us? How are gonna people going to be able to stop us? If Shea's shooting that 43-45% from three-point range, they're not. They're not. They're just not. I mean, we saw uh, Celtics struggle. Last night, we struggled in the first quarter, and we got beat because we didn't play well in the first quarter, played semi-well in the second quarter, played okay in the third quarter, and then came ready in the fourth quarter. You can't win the NBA games against a uh, decent team like that. 
I'm sorry. Like we didn't get into Atlanta until like 4:15 in the morning. That has everything to do with the way that we came out there to play. So I just go back to that. I I cannot get upset with these guys. I cannot get upset with a game like that last night. Um, we're seeing so much improvement from the guys. We shot 50 something percent from three point range last night. Like there's so much that is just positive that w- went on. Um, I look at this team and I see that that we're we're clicking in the ways that we need to be clicking in early January. Um, yes, we got beat, but we put up 138 points. That's everything we need as far as points go. Our defense suffered, but when a team shoots as well as as Atlanta and as many threes as they did, and on top of that, they sh- they hit um, 31 free throws, guys. I had to think about that for a second. 31 free throws. We hit 20. They hit 11 more free throws than we did. And we missed six free throws. That, that's what lost us the game. We can talk about anything else, but free throws lost us the game. We weren't focused. Shea missed three. Um, J-Dub missed two. And we just weren't focused when it came to free throws. And again, that's going to come, and we'll be all right. And that's why, to me, like these are small things. These aren't massive things that we lost the game because of. They're yeah. easily adjustable. And with all that, we still had a great play drawn up where Giddy, I think he hit Dub, who is cutting to the basket. We're down by three with two and a half seconds on the clock or something like that. The ball swings to a corner, Isaiah Joe. Catch and shoot halfway down. And if that thing goes in, we go to overtime. We have the momentum. If we find a way to steal the win, like literally we're talking about how great everything is. Yeah. But instead it's like, we're kind of like a little bummed because we fell into a trap game. You know, Mm. they call these types of games scheduling losses. Scheduled yeah. loss. You know what I mean? You you play you play at home, you jump on the flight, you arrive in the next city at three AM, and from there, dude, we just came out flat. Like this shit happens. So you look at the teams that we've lost to over the last few games. The the games that we've lost. Like you're talking about the Kings, you're talking about the Lakers. Now we're talking about the Hawks. And those are like our three last losses. Like I don't know that I'm missing one. Tell me if I am. But well, we lost the Rockets in there as well, but that's that's the only one we're missing. All right. And you look at it, though, like, but Rock, what, are, what, about what are the commonalities? Rockets, Rockets yeah. and um, Houston. Or, uh, Houston and um, Atlanta. They're, they're very similar in the aspect of young, talented guys. They, they don't have a problem s- spreading the floor out. They have a big man inside that rebounds and offensive rebounds. Like, this is, they're similar teams in that aspect. Yes, people are like, oh, they're not really similar. But listen. And to get to the nitty gritty of it, where those teams that we struggle with are those Houston's, right? Are those the Hawks? It's going to be teams like that that can spread the floor and shoot the ball because everybody struggles with them. Right when they're on. And if when you're tired, on. if you lack assertiveness in your defense and getting involved early, like that's going to catch up with you. Yep. You're going to have to pay. Do you th- I don't think that uh, Shea is going to allow this to go down again. I think that. He's going to do a better job planning on if, hey, if it's four o'clock and we're not getting in, we need to do more to be ready for this game. Because, like, let's be honest, that first quarter, I mean, that was hard to watch. Like, they started off, oh, um, you know, we had zero points. They had nine. Like, and it was just like that all first quarter. Like, we got going a little bit and then they just went and took off. And it was just, that's where I feel like we lost the game. We didn't set okay, this, so- like, in the past, we've set the standard. We've set what we're going to do, how we're going to play. And the teams had to react to us. Last night, the Hawks were setting the standard. And we never really caught up until yeah. the last two and a half minutes of the fourth qu- quarter. We like started like 
putting our foot on their throat a little bit, but they, yeah. we ran out of time. Like that's it. And you were saying like earlier, the Celtics basically just did the same thing to us. Yeah, we you get tossed a lesson. Celtics so, tossed a lesson of protecting your nuts. Right. Then we go into Atlanta, and we're like, why can't we, we steal this. this game? Now, yeah. we were down what, like fifteen with. Yeah. Two and a half minutes left three, or something like that? Three and a half, yeah. Two and a half, something like that, yeah. It was insane. I mean, it just there was no you. point in that fourth quarter where it felt like this was our game, but we almost stole it. I, I, it just shows you, we've said this for a long time, is that no lead is safe with this team the last five minutes of the game. Yeah. A team could be up by 20 in the last five minutes of the game, and this, this team... And it goes back to the years that we were in the shits, you know? <laughs> and it's a seven-point game, and there's a minute and a half left, and Coach has the starters out, and Isaiah Roby out there. We're all, you know, hustling and, and pressing, and, and it's setting the standard. You know, when, when people in Oklahoma City was on um, the podcast in Oklahoma City and the, the media were saying, the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to tank. Like, this is what they need to do. They need to tank. Like, we're there saying, no tanking. No, that, that brings a mindset. Look at the... <laughs> Look at the Pistons. I mean, look at all these, the Wolves. Like, look at all these teams that tank to get good players and it just never got out of it. But instead, we would lose games, but we would be down seven with a minute and a half. Instead of losing by 10 or 12, we lose by two. Mm -hmm. And it would just be like, Coach D matters. Like, he cares about these games. He's teaching the kids how to win. And even though we aren't winning, he's teaching them how to win. Right. And now you fast forward to two years. Now you're like, oh, shit. All these lessons that he was teaching these guys to Shea, you know, um, you know, last year to J-Dub and, and Josh Giddy and all these lessons that he was teaching them, right? It's starting to come to fruition exactly what he was doing. Because right. now these guys in the last three minutes, they believe in themselves. They're like, dude, 12 points, that's nothing. We can catch that back. That's nothing. We'll, we'll, get, a, we'll get the last shot. And when it matters, we got this. So... Is it that the other teams go into this like they're playing the stall game and we're we're playing like we know how to handle that and we put the pressure on when they try to pull it out? Is that sort of what's happening or is it that we're switching a gear ourselves? How do, what, what changes in the last five minutes? It, it's the gear. Like we always talk about when, when Shay has found that next gear, you know, that third or fourth gear. Um, and being able to have that third or fourth gear in the playoffs is crucial. Um, you get to a second gear and everybody shuts down that second gear. They figure out what your moves on that second gear is, right? So you got to find out the next and further and further. Um, that's what I look at with with Shea right now and J-Dub and Chet and all these guys is that they're finding out what that next gear is right now. You know, like, oh, if we do this, then bam, that's the result. You know, like, and it's to me, like, it's the it's the experimental stage. You know, everybody loves the experimental stage. Doesn't matter what type of experiment experimental stage it was, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. That's what these guys are in right now. They're like, oh, if I turn on my motor here, what happens? Oh, if I do this, what happens? Oh, what if I happens like this? We saw J Dub go on this like amazing like five minute spurt, you know? But what happens when he's able to do that for twenty five minutes in the game? Thirty minutes a game. You know, like to me, like that's what we're trying to figure out is the consistency. And, and sometimes the consistency is there throughout the game. And sometimes it takes into the last five minutes to get there. But when it's clicking, it's clicking. And that's when you know that that team's really good. And, 
and say what you want to say. It, it wasn't like the Hawks weren't making plays at the end of the you know last five minutes of the game. They were making some enormous plays. They were making some incredible plays. But we were doing it better. You know, like we were just doing it better. So you think it's Chip England then, huh? You think that's why we're seeing this improvement on the three-point shooting? It's been a year and a half now. And- Dude, think about it. What was our easiest month in this entire season? It was December. Okay. And then the last 10 games, our guys are shooting an insane, our starters are shooting, you know, 45 plus percent from three-point range. That, that is, is it's direct correlation when you have the easiest um, and you get tons of practices and you get in the gym a lot, you get Coach uh, England helping you out, man, it's the exact reason why these guys are shooting so well right now. Do you, you think know, for Shea, um, if he can add that three-point shot, what do you think that does to his ability to close games for us? Because he's already one of the best closers right. in the league. If he adds that three-point shot, right, and he gets that confidence of the shot, there will be not a single person that will be talking about Luca being a better offensive player. Really? Just, just, just think about that. Hmm. All right? There will be no NBA expert that will be saying Luca is a better offensive player than Shea if Shea adds that, that shot. And the reason is is because, like, you look at what Luca is able to do, right? And you're looking at his offense and, and like, who's a better penetrator to the hole, Luca or Shea? Shea. And it's not close. Who's, who's a better defender? Shea. Shea. Who's Luca's a better, better passer. Who's a better, more athletic? Who's the better? I, I would say, I would say Luca's the better passer, right? But then all of a sudden you add Shea and the only two things that Luca has on, on him would be shooting the three point shot and his passing. I, I mean, that's it. And then you, you let Shea all of a sudden get a, a, his three-point shot up, and then everybody would be like, mm, nah, I'm sorry. Luca, Luca isn't, no, isn't any longer the best offensive guard in the league. Like, people are already saying that Shea is the best all-around guard in the league. Okay, so if people are saying he's the best all-around guard and he just needs to improve his three-point shot to become literally the best offensive guard in the league, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, that is it. Like, Luca can keep his incredible, insane passing. I'll take Shea's, you know, finishing abilities and, and, and the way that he can do stuff, and especially when he adds that three-point shot. He's the best guard in the league, and they won't even be close to who's second. How long till you'll start saying, okay, it's here to stay? 25 games? You mean, like, right his now, shot. like his shot? I think I want to go back to his last season, the year before, because I, to me, when Shea gets going in his season, shooting the, shooting the rock right, yeah, he doesn't stop. So March last year, he did nice step backs and win, you know, ice games, all that other stuff. You know, happened in February too. So yeah. January is really where his shot, his three point shot, came into context. So, um, I got to say this is that if, if he's shooting 45, 55% from three point range for the next three or four games, there's going to be no doubt that that, that shot's staying because he fi- really? he's figured it out. All right. So by, sometime by mid January. I mean, we'll- like, I, I think his shot is, I mean, like, the way the, the mechanics of a shot, his step back that is able to go with a shot, I, I think that everything is working together. Right. But, like, there's something that's different between a confidence and a shooter. Right, mm-hmm. and a shooter with no confidence, and I think there's a fine line between what Shea is, is experienced right now, and you know, like 
I mean, we've all been there, like whether it's a shooting or a, a slump or, you know, missing the shit out of free throws. Right. But more in context, though, right? Like, let's just put this, put this more like Shea, right, has shot 14% for 10 games or seven games in a row there. Right. And yet in the December where we went 10 and three, it didn't matter. And, and the reality of that is, is powerful because, I mean, this team is, is prime. This team has every piece set to go. And, and people are like, oh, we need to add this piece. We need to add this piece. Like, I, I respectfully, I, I look at you and say, I, I get it. I get that our interior rebounding sometimes is sucky. I get that this is, you know, sucky sometimes. But we're not talking about adding a superstar at throwing four first rounders out there. I sent Mark a piece of information today about the Phoenix Suns and how many teams are going to be trying to trade away money next year because they won't be able to sign anybody in a free agency. They won't be able to do this. They'll have, they'll have G League guys filling out their bench. You could have three superstar, superstars on that, that team in, in the Phoenix Suns, but you're going to have you know, a really bad situation after that. And so it was like $200 million committed to those three players? Yeah. And it's insane, bro. Like you, you cannot like, and I understand that there's going to be a time that Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be paying that much money, right? And and that's fine, but that's going to be seven years down the road when the the um, reaction of this, which is going to happen, and I'm, I'm promised. Let, let me just spell this out. the The money is going to cause an issue when everybody's like, "Shit, we got to spread on, um, you know, um, trade this money, whatever," right? They'll take two picks. For a superstar. And they'll be like, fuck yes. First round picks, hell yeah, two. Right now, you couldn't get a superstar for four or five picks. That's how much of a difference it's going to make year one. I can't even tell you how much of a difference it's going to make year two. And everybody's going to be sitting there saying, I wish we hadn't traded our picks. Now, when the, when the value has quadrupled for those picks and Sam Presti's sitting on everybody's picks, man, it's over. You know, like people will be like, we'll give you whatever you want. We need another pick this year. What do you want? So you were telling me um, that you've seen this happen in other sports too. Yeah. NFL. Explain. Explain more. All right. So you think about the NFL and you think about there's been different blocks of time. where American football for all of our Australian yeah, yeah. fans. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, so there's been block of times where there's been teams that have drafted. I think about... Um, um, the Dallas Cowboys, right? In the draft, there was a legendary draft of theirs. Um, they picked up Emmett Smith and, you know, pretty much their entire, like, reason why they won all those championships in one draft. Yeah, a bunch it of changed picks. how teams started trading their first-round draft picks because if they were like, shit, if we're able to get these guys in the first round that can make that much of an influence on our team right away, you know, we want that. Now, you, you cannot, I'm telling you guys, go look at the NFL. See what type of, of, of trades are for first-round draft picks. You'll be shocked. You'll be like, holy shit, like why? Well, it's because the value of the first round is so much more higher, second round and third round and all that other stuff. They're still very valuable. The, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they own all these first and second round picks. And it's insane how much they own, 35 of them. And when everybody is, is done trading all their picks and people are like, I'm not trading my picks, I'm not trading my picks. And people are like, well, I want picks back. I've got all these players. I want picks. They're not going to get picks, meaning that the value of the picks have come way up and skyrocketed. And at that point, then all of a sudden, in seven years, the commission is going to be like, man, we've, we've made the picks so valuable, right, 
that these vets aren't getting all this the money anymore. Right? They're not getting these max amount of money. They're not doing all this other stuff. Like the vets are being less valuable now. Right? So he's going to do the complete opposite or he's going to go the other way. And guess what? That's when we can be spending all the money in the world that we want. Because that's the flip around. You know, like that's what happens when you have, you know, all this other stuff that's going around. And and I think that so like kind of like really um, good position. The new CBA would basically be designed to decrease the value of the picks by letting teams increase their spending without like Th- that's what happens. Tax when you, penalties. Yeah. When you when you make the dollar, right? Like constricted, right? It it takes the picks and makes them double, triple, quadruple the value. Yeah. You you constrict that. You just constrict the money and makes them more um, valuable. You open the money up, right? Like it is now, and they become less valuable. Like, how do you think Sam Presti's been able to score all this? Is because guys can they can go out and spend two hundred million dollars on the thing and be like, well, it's like seventy million dollars. It's going to cost me or one hundred and fifty million. It's nothing. Like it's just money. Like these guys are such rich billionaires. It doesn't matter. Well, now the commission wants to make them pay. Wants to make it worth it. Wants to make them be like, no, this is going to hurt your team. This is not going to hurt your dollar line. This is going to hurt your team by doing this, spending money like this. Basically making it so that these huge contracts are difficult to get rid of and people would get rid of them for a soul. Yeah. A song. A soul. I mean, sir. I mean, they'd probably get rid of it for a soul. So, like, the last time they made a decision like that, this is getting into the later rounds, but... Then they had to come back and do an amnesty clause because teams really fucked themselves. Remember that? That was, that was um that was weird. It was like so many teams got into such bad deals because of the the money. They're like, "Well, we'll give you a one-time only chance." I think we used ours on Kyle Singler or something like that. Yeah, like, we, yeah. We're still paying him. I mean, I think we just got done paying him like $900,000 a year. Shout out Kyle. <laughs> he was like it was uh if you ever looked at uh um at the end of the year they always put out that that how much the thunder has spent and all this stuff right yeah and you can always scroll down and um deferred money is something that's always there and kyle singler is always at like nine hundred and eighty thousand, nine hundred ninety thousand, or whatever and i'm like <laughs> just just seeing him there made me laugh bro like yeah. i still can't believe like i still can't believe that trade you know Dude, like, listen, I can't believe yeah. that that has got to be the biggest change in Sam Presti. Yeah, is searching for trades instead of sitting out and being the person people come to saying, "We'll dump this person for a first rounder." Bringing yeah. that person in and saying, mm, "They don't work. I'll cut them. Boom, save money." Or somebody like Bertans, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing him in. This guy can help our team when we're in droughts and stuff like that. Boom. You know. I think it's brilliant. I think that by doing that and and being that person that he is, like he's added assets instead of taking away. Because if you're searching and hunting for somebody, you're you're willing to pay more money. And Sam's sitting there being like, "Mm, I'm willing to give you this, but I want Kendrick Williams. You know, I want, right? I want Isaiah Joe, but Isaiah Joe came through free agency. but." opportunistic versus out there trying to find something that's it and that's why you you look at these trades that people are talking about and i'm like Lori marketing like i i listen i see it i love Lori. i think you'd be perfect on this team 
But I cannot, for the life of me, understand why Sam Presti would give up four first-rounders halfway through the year for somebody that we have no idea if he's going to work chemistry with these guys. Will anybody be willing to, you think? Listen, I, I think there's going to be a desperate team. I think there'll be a desperate there's team. Always I think a there's a desperate team. But do, I think there's desperate a team, team with assets? Like, well, think about it. Like, if I, if I was, if, I mean, like, I would want to know if I could run Cade Cunningham with a good player. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't think they were done with Cade. No, I want to know if Cade oh, Cunningham. Oh, you, you can play him with a good player. With a, um, a big-time player. Ooh, okay. So I want, I want to, because you're about to pay him out the ass. So you need to know, and it's worth a couple first round. And they got the, they, they've got the three or four first rounders that are not theirs that they could trade that are kind of iffy first rounders. Okay. But like, that's, that's the type of team that I see going for him. And, and otherwise I, he's off the market because no one's going to step up to that. Who's got, I mean, are you seriously saying that any of the teams that have all those draft picks are going to go out and get them? Maybe. Well, that's the thing. Like one of the teams that's accumulating is the Jazz, so they're not, they're out of it. Yeah, they're out of the picture. Then who do you have? You have um, nope, nope. Um, I mean, after that, you could say maybe, maybe. Um, I, I mean, I guess if you were willing to trade Stephen Adams, maybe you could throw in, you know, a, a, a sexy package to get um, Laurie Market from the Jazz and throw him over the Memphis. Hmm. Um, but I mean, like, that's the thing is like, I think next, I think Angie waited too long. I think he had a couple of three first round draft picks and now he's going to have to wait into the off season and probably get, I mean, who knows? Danny Angel surprised me a few times before where, you know, like he's able to get something out of nothing, you know? I was surprised how much he got for Gobert, but then I was surprised how little he got for uh, Mitchell. I felt like he could have got more for Mitchell. No, bro. He got a ton for Mitchell. He got a ton for Mitchell? Oh yeah, bro. He didn't get as much as he got for Colbert though. Three or four first rounders. Oh really? Then he got um, Clarkson, which you know he's going to get a couple first for him. Right. Um. There's a couple other guys I know our chat will throw in there and and say, but like he's he was able to get enough in return that he can actually turn Clarkson for first or two, and the next thing you know is he'll be able to make the same amount. Um, especially. Laurie Marketing was the part that he got in from the Cleveland as well, you know? So you throw Laurie Marketing in there and, you know, like, then you got a team that's... Something. Then you got, uh, then you got the same situation that you're going to look back in the past. Is, it's, I'm serious, guys. Is if they trade Laurie, Mar- Laurie Marketing for four picks, that means that Dominic Mitchell brought in eight picks. Yeah, and they say they say they trade, let's say Jordan Clarkson for a couple picks, right? Whatever it is. Now you got ten picks for him. Like that's the thing is like that's, that's the same type of you yeah. know um, thing. So right now, like for me, like I do I see him trying to maximize lawyer marketing? Yes, but I also see that he's very intelligent in recognizing that next year he's worth two picks because it's his final year in a contract and he's going to get a huge contract. So if a team is out there offering him three or two in a good asset, you, you've got to at least look at that. And there's a few teams that would do that, but not many. Man, I appreciate wild, Milani, bro. Darian, joining us, man. You guys are the best. Thunder yeah, family. Sit on the picks. That's it. Sit on the picks because those picks, when it comes to draft day, 
will be worth a lot of money and we don't need to be out there handing him out to somebody that we have no idea if he will fit in this team or not. And that's just being honest. I would rather us go get a player that's a veteran that is going to take and spend 10 minutes a game tops playing. I would rather go do that. Give me a rebounder. Do it like that. Give me some guy that that is strictly there for defense and rebound. If that's what you guys are so concerned about, then I'm okay with that. But other than that, I don't think there's any reason for this team to jump in and start jumping off cliffs. The only name I'd say that, and I hate doing this, but I really like Daniel Gafford. Yeah, Gafford's good, bro. I wish we could find a way to get him for like almost nothing. Like, I know the Wizards are in a spot where they would like to just kind of like rebuild. So, like, say you got th- like a bad first rounder and two second rounders for Gafford. Bro. Um, he really could help us just because he's he uh, he seems like a great locker room presence. He does all the little things right. Um, and when you think about him, you're not like, oh, he's going to come in and like it'll be like this like imposing guy that changes anything. He'll play within what we do and just give coach another player he mm-hmm. can trust because he, he's very good. Scotty Brooks coached him, and I really appreciated what, Scotty said about him. I really believed him. And so like there there are some players out there that's kind of like, oh, maybe we could add that guy. But this comes back to what you're saying about Presti, which is letting the things come to him. Because if the right player with the right skill set that can help um boost Coach D's rotations is available, we're gonna add him. And yep. we're not gonna look at it like um we're afraid. Do you, I mean, yeah. Presti said for a while, like, you don't rush these, this process, right? No, you don't. And you got to let these players develop. And then there is a point, though, in which you look to add a new piece or two. Um, you add a couple of guys. Sure. But let me ask you, though, like, are we at that point? Like, I, listen. I know that, like, you don't want to, which is a different question. But do you think, like, in general, like, we're, we're approaching that point rapidly? Um. Yes, but what exactly we need, that's the one question that I have. Because like I, I still think that we can have our cake and eat it with the situation. So for us to jump in and, you know, without testing the water yet is kind of crazy. I think behind the scenes, I think scenes I think scene, Sam Presti is back there being like, um, what about this? What about this? What about this? And and for me to say every piece has to line up perfectly. It has to be the right player the right money, everything else like that. And are you going to get that during the season? I don't think so. Because everybody wants to improve that during the season. And during the off year, you get more patience, you get more time, you get time to talk to people and if they're going to fit and have them around the guys. And, you know, like there's so much more during the off season that you can do to vet a person versus now, you know, like, and that's where I, I, I want to bring it back to is that Sam Presti is in that, that idea of vetting kids in young men before he allows them on the team. He's very protective like that. Right. Um, and, and that's where you don't have time to do that. And, and that's why if you look back in the history of the game and Sam Presti doing his thing, very few times, very few times has Sam Presti you know, made a trade during the year. But he did say there is a point in which you do you know, infuse the team with additional talent. 
with additional pieces, but you allow the team to kind of present what they need. And yeah. he used and an can example. Can you tell me exactly what that is? Well, at this moment, no, but he uses an example how when we faced the Lakers in sure. the playoffs and we got eliminated, Pau Gasol tip in game six, you know, we needed an enforcer. So he went and got KP. Yep. So that's where I'm like looking at it. I'm like, um, maybe there's a way to creatively without you know, interfering in the locker room present um, situation, add a player in advance. Yeah. Versus waiting until the team finds themselves in a spot where they're getting eliminated because of the lack of that player. Maybe this team has sort of surprised him with how fast they've proven to be ready. And then wouldn't it be kind of on him if he's going to be the type of GM that you know, he says he is to find yeah. a way to give some reinforcements to the squad? Like just from a veteran presence, just from a, a we mentioned rebounding a lot, just from a knockdown open threes. Like what if Mike Muscala became available again for like a second round pick? Like if you added him I, I back. I just don't, I don't like, I'm sorry. I like Mike Muscala. I'd love to have him back on this team. But like, if we're going to add anybody, it has to be that defensive enforcer. It has to be a, a rebounder because that's the biggest need that this team needs at this moment. And I don't think that I even know what this team needs, honestly. And that's the biggest thing that I keep going back to. And, and let's just be honest. The defensive enforcers that are big men, that are centers, right? They're fucking weird. They're fucking an odd group of people. And right. that is the biggest problem I have of adding weird ass people to a locker room that we have nothing, you know, to add to that we need. And who you are we gonna who give like? up? Who are we gonna give up? Trey Mann? No, man. We gotta stay, keep Trey Mann, man. Keep the keep the man in the locker room. That dude is next level on that bench. You know what? Like we probably can't get him though. But um Jalen Duran from the Pistons. Like yeah, yeah. he's a young enforcer. Dude, and- Jared Allen. Jared Allen from yeah he the plays Cavs. for Cleveland yeah but he played for Brooklyn before yeah he's a rebounding fucking machine he doesn't ask he gets alley oops up in the the step up positions like a madman yeah um you know he plays great defense like like to me like that's we need somebody like that but that you know, this goes back to remember when we wanted the enforcer who was the first person we went to we were about to get uh, Tyson healthy. Chandler. Tyson Chandler. We almost got Tyson Chandler, but he didn't pass the physical. Yeah. And I go back to that moment because Tyson Chandler would have been the perfect running mate with KD and all that other stuff, right? Yeah. You know, like you look at these guys. Continue to play really productively too. Yeah. And you look at these guys and you can say you can draw lines to all of them and saying what they need, what they need to have a center if they're going to put a center on this team. How is it going to slow down our offense? Is it going to slow down our offense any? Are they just going to let the center stand out there on the three-point line and do nothing? Well, how I mean, long is if, it going to take Chip England to teach him how to shoot a three-point shot? You know, like these are the things that we need to know. If you put him into, into a low-pressure situation, if you're bringing in a starter, like, yeah, like, like that's, that's a problem. Like, you got to be careful. But if you bring him in and you're like, okay, you're going to get like 12 to 15 minutes off the bench. And as coach earns trust in you and the players like playing with you, then there will be rotations in which you play, you know, 25, 30 game, minutes a night based on the matchups and stuff like that. Like, yeah. and that matchup might be something like, yeah, we're p- playing the Sixers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, we need that extra size and that, that girth, as we like to say. But like, in the end, 
what I think is, and this is what we keep saying, right? But we're at a spot where we're not really looking to add that, but we do know that there's that moment. And we know that that moment is sometime between now and the start of next season. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's about where we're at. Like, I, I, I still am a huge fan of going to the draft and picking up as much as we can in the draft and yeah. filling out. If we, if we draft a player that's a center, that's a rebounder, shooter, whatever, we have two years to fill in his spot until he's ready. Yeah. Like, you know, like, to me, like, that's what I would like to do because I, I see this team and, I, and I, I see Jay Will and he's like that wide Charles Barkley, um, you know, type body. And, and I just want him to, see, you know, keep improving because I, I do think that Jay Will will be that for us. I just think that he needs more time to get that body more NBA ready because, let's be honest, like, you know, it's, he's got an incredible body and it's just big, you know, but, like, he needs to be able to have a pounding for you know 30 minutes a game before he's ready and i don't i don't i don't know if he's ready hey, for a 30 minute pounding a lot of kids aren't ready for a 30 minute pounding at the beginning of games you know what i mean they come into the league they're teenagers and then they go they get real um there's that dave walker kessler how about walker kessler dude Dude, I love Walker Kessler. You can't get him, he's one that's of the, the thing about these guys. Yeah, he's, he's impossible. Like, they're not. They're not trading Walker. They, they, he's the he's the Laurie Marketing of the future for that Jazz team. Right. So. They're gonna wait until. So I mean, there's a lot of fun things, but the best thing is I like what you're saying, Darian I, and Dave. I dig what you're saying, which is basically like guys that are gonna be good fits on the court, off the court, young, right? And we can kind of lean mm. into that. Yeah. Hopefully, it's through the draft, but you know, you never know, and. This is going to get more interesting. That's These it. picks make everything. What do they say? Picks or aces are wild, or jacks are wild, jokers are wild, right? Watch the fuck out. Keep your head low. Keep your eyes up. Shit's going to get crazy out here, man. This team is throwing bows, guys. Just watch them, enjoy it, because we've got uh, 15 more games in January. We have four more back-to-backs. It's going to be fun. I mean, this is going to be a good time. We've got like what three or four more games. Um, out of the next five against the East. So we've got some more time to make up for that. So head on a swivel, baby. We'll see you guys later. Let's go.